And it's really come to really not dawn on me, but accept this, that it is all about the people. Whatever you do, even software, we all glorify software and tech and repeatable automation, but all of that is set up by people. So <laughs> if it's all about the people, well, then the culture is like the, it's like this conscious and subconscious fabric of how we interact and what we value as a group of people working towards a common goal. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on? It's Sammy and welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B? My brother, so good to see you. Um, I missed you last week, but you guys were traveling back from Orlando. Um, glad to see you back in your usual spot, though. I hope the weather is not too bad up there. Um, three degrees today, by the way. Three. <laughs> So I miss Florida immensely right now. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, dude, I don't know how you guys do that. I will move down here for good. Um, but man, life is good. Super busy with, um, you know, we are rereading traction as a, as a company um, and kind of like redialing in our, our vision for, for especially our property management business, our vacation rental management business. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Very, very difficult to actually find properties right now to, uh, to buy. The market, our market is super competitive. Um, actually helped one of our students put an offer on a place, um, our buddy John. Um, we want 50000 over asking and somebody outbid us um, to the point that I told John that there's nothing, like we just got to let it go. Um, so that's been happening a lot lately. So if you are in a market like mine in South Florida, you just got to keep your hopes up and, and try to find a way to find deals before they hit the market. Uh, so that's where a lot of our focus is going for ourselves and our clients. Um, but it's an interesting spot to be because usually there was deals and, and now people had not too much money and now there is so much money and there's no, no deals. So it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what comes. But overall, dude, the market is still looking super solid. So we're, we're very grateful. Operations are good. Um, so no complaints, you know, how's the house? Is the house finished? No, it'll be about another month. They're moving along. Most of the house is done. It's just doing all the custom stuff is taking a while. So it'll, yeah. uh, it's getting there, but I had that company go and do the, uh, the pool leak test today. And he found six leaks in my pool. Ooh. It's one year old. And so nice. not too happy about that. And, uh, yeah, so he's emailing me the report today and I'm going to forward that yeah. off to the pool company that installed it and uh see what we can work out so well welcome to um to the florida craftsmanship <laughs> it's a good right? lesson I mean, for everybody though right like when yeah. you're getting into real estate stuff is going to come up so that's why yeah. it's not just factoring in in your budget like oh you know closing costs down payment furniture like you need to have some reserve because even on a new build like stuff can go sideways like we replaced yeah. a bunch of stuff that i did not anticipate but 
you know, we had reserves in place for that. So it is what yeah. it is. And actually, before we get started, that brings up a good point because that's something that I made a point with a client that recently bought a property. Um, when you do an inspection, there is a pool. The inspector looks at the pool equipment, but does not look at the pool itself. So if you are doing vacation rentals, I mean, even if you're buying it for yourself, obviously you want to know, but especially for vacation rentals, I would highly, highly, highly recommend if you're buying something with a pool and something that I've learned myself. So I'm going to do it moving forward. And I think we do an actual leak uh, inspection because the pool, like my, my client, John, he just bought a place and we ended up spending about $2,500 to fix a bunch of leaks that he also had. Um, we could have definitely renegotiated if we had known they were there or at least had it fixed. Um, so it's definitely worth the 300, 350, 400 bucks, whatever it is that you may pay in your specific market, but get it done because again, $2,500, that's enough furniture to do a room and a half, right? So if you are really tight with your budget, those extra 2,500 bucks can make a big difference. hundred percent. I have a feeling mine's going to be more than 2,500 after everything <laughs> shared, but it is what it is. So, uh, before we introduce today's guests who I'm really excited to bring on, um, just want to remind people that Mark Simpson's book, by the time this airs, I think it's coming out like tomorrow. Um, so Mark Simpson, good buddy of ours, founder of Boostly, he is the direct booking ninja, and he's got a new book, the direct book playbook, or the book direct playbook, excuse me. And uh, you guys can go get a copy of that. Go to boostly.co.uk slash book. Um, I'm anxious to get my hands on it. We've had Mark on the show multiple times. He's spoken to our private mastermind students multiple times. He is a ninja when it comes to direct bookings and um, highly encourage you to get a copy of that book. So shout out to Mark. Um, he's an awesome dude and he knows what he's talking about. So go grab the book. And so for today's episode, uh, we have Emmanuel uh, Lavoie. Or I'm, I should be better at French. My grandmother was from France, but I need to work on that. <laughs> Uh, but he is the CEO of Jetstream Hospitality Solutions. It's an all-in-one technology platform and services solution that provides a powerful way for owners, managers, and developers of multi-unit short-term rental properties to maximize revenues and realize opportunities in the STR and flex rental market. Uh, Jetstream combines best-in-class marketing expertise and distribution technology with high-quality customer support to deliver guest delight, streamline operations, and reduce financial risk. An engineer and entrepreneur, Emmanuel is a disciple of data-driven decision-making. I love that. And leading by values. Also love that. And when he's not trying to build uh, an exemplary business, he can be found skiing, sailing, or paragliding. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Emmanuel, welcome to the show, man. Thank You're you You're living so on much. the edge over there. <laughs> yeah. I actually met my business partner of Jetstream paragliding in 2010-11 at the top of a mountain. We're both strapped in about to fly. And that was the beginning of this journey. So I owe a lot to that sport. So the name, awesome, seems, the name seems very fitting now. It is, yeah. We, we yeah. created... Sorry, I'm going to shut my phone off. Somebody tried calling me. <laughs> Terrible timing. It's done. Fixed. Airplane mode. Um, yeah, so we, we, when we hired a brand agency to create the Jetstream brand, which was born of our, of our previous company, Leavetown, that was part of our love of aviation. That, that's where it came from. So there we are. I'm super stoked cool. to be on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. I've been binging your show. Uh, the last little bit. And genuinely, I'm not saying thanks to, to, to be nice. I love what you guys are doing. And uh, you have a new fan of the show here. 100%. Awesome. Well, we appreciate also, that. We appreciate I also got to say that I love your name. You have, you have a great <laughs> name. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's the funny part too. And we just chat about this before, but my business partner's name is Mike. So we're Mike and Emmanuel and you guys are Mike and Emmanuel, Emmanuel <laughs> uh, which is unbelievable. And so some people refer us as M&M, which is pretty funny. Oh, that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So tell us a little bit more about like what got you into this whole industry now, and then we'll get into more about what Jetstream does and the solutions. Yeah. So my journey is a bit, uh, I've been in real estate since the beginning, but definitely different sides of it. So I graduated in mechanical engineer in 2002. So it gives you a bit of a, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm in my early forties. And I ended up by accident as a consulting HVAC engineer, sizing ducts and pipes for buildings. Mm. And I, you know, no offense to, to that profession, but I did not like it. And in my spare time, I was reading books, not of engineering, but I was reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the E-Myth, which was, you know, and, and the more I read, the more I realized the business model that I was in, you know, in the quadrant, the best I could do was S, self-employed, basically. And the only way to make more money was to sell more hours and hire more people to sell more hours. I just didn't like fundamentally the business model. Uh, but I ended up stuck in it for about nine years because I bought a house and then 2008 kind of wiped me out for a bit. So I had to dig myself out of that hole. But the first, the, the, the second I had a chance to get out, I did. And that's when I had already met my business partner, Mike, um, paragliding, like I said. So he then knew I was leaving engineering. He said, you know, I got this little tiny little company at the time called Leavetown. Would you want to join me and, and buy a portion of the business? So I did. And I was number five in the company at the time. And that's how I went from HVAC engineering to honestly, the first year and a half, I don't really think we really knew what we were doing, but we ultimately found a product market fit. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And it, I feel like that story is so common with people in our industry where they just kind of like take a chance or like somehow end up in the industry. And then they're like, this is amazing. Like, I love yeah. it. It's fun. It's hyper dynamic. Uh, yes. And, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of players, but not everyone is competent and organized. So it's not to say it's an easy business, but if you display those elements, you have a good chance of rising to the top. 100%. 100%. So what, what did Jetstream start as and what has it yeah. morphed into? Because I'm sure yeah. that it has morphed over time. Oh, big time. We got a wild, wild journey fit for uh, how I built this basically. But so the... So Mike, my business partner's journey is he had an exit in England and he's about 10 years older than I. So he moved to Canada after his exit in the tech space and he was minted. He bought, you know, multiple condos and a resort building and a float plane and the sailboats and all this stuff. And unfortunately he bought in 2006, right before the crash. And in Alberta where he bought, got hit hard by the crash because of the oil industry. So he ended up kind of selling a lot of real estate at loss and he had a few left and he started renting them on Verbo at the time before Airbnb even just to get cash flow to pay his mortgage. Uh, and this, what's important is that it was multi, they were all the same. There were like three or four, two bedroom condos in a resort building in Canmore, Alberta. So with one listing on Verbo at the time, it was the, the old days of, you paid a platinum fee per year. Yeah, he could I get, yeah, exactly. That was the good times. Oh, I think one year he did a million in sales with a $2,000 listing fee. That's the, that's the heyday of low cost of acquisition days. So good. Yeah, so good. Yeah, so yeah. that's what he did. And he was good at it. So the resort management company, because they went through their own turmoil with bankruptcy and so on. But when they emerged, they said, hey, you know, you're good at getting these bookings for your units. If we gave you wholesale on the whole resort, 
could you also do your thing and get us bookings? Uh, and, and he did. And eventually they're like, hey, we got other destinations. This is all Western Canada. Would you be willing to, and so on and so forth. And so from 2009, 10 to 2015, when I joined the business, he amassed, you know, a good amount of resort management co's uh, on the Canadian West Coast. But what we were trying to do and what he was trying to do was actually not to do this verbal thing. We're trying to create an OTA called leavetown.com, which we still own. It's still our niche, our, our direct channel, so to speak, of our business. Uh, but the vision then was this content-rich moose and grizzlies and Canadian Rockies kind of thing with all this blog content that was going to drive all this organic traffic. It never worked, but we kept trying. But in the meantime, to pay our bills, we were putting these ads on VRBO and getting bookings. And our resort partners didn't even know this. This is what we're doing. And it took us a while to come out of the closet, so to speak, and eventually realize, hey, that this kind of back-end distribution to new channels is where it's at. And our resort partners actually want it. So Airbnb obviously came up the scene. We we're doing that on Airbnb as well. And we were, there's a town called Banff. It's Banff National Park in Canada. It's one of the premier tourist destinations. It's very regulated. So a, a single homeowner there cannot be on Airbnb. It's a national park and it's not that big so they can regulate pretty well. So we were the only ones with Airbnb ads in Banff because we were representing the actual resort management coast, which was legal because it was proper hospitality. And by proper, I just mean licensed. So eventually Airbnb approached us and said, hey, how come you guys have all this inventory there and can you build an API? And we're like, sure, we'll build an API to you. But the problem is it's all room type inventory. So a listing will appear as a two bedroom condo on Airbnb, but we have 50 of those to sell. And the tech of Airbnb then and Verbo then was there was only one listing. There was only one unit of inventory. So if the booking happened, they'd shut down the calendar, even though we had their 49 more to sell. So we were vocal about this and Airbnb invited us to actually hack their API, believe it or not. We came up with this engineering concept, they review it uh, and they approved it and we built it and we became the first multi-unit or rep level distribution partner, the Airbnb in the world. This was 2017. And on the heels of that, same with Verbo, we were the fourth with them. So wow. it was this, yeah, so it was this huge blue ocean moment. So we did a series A uh, at the time and we raised from some local Vancouver uh, investors. And uh, we just expanded. We, we, and then, so that's the distribution side. But what happened is these resort management codes, they use software systems like PM, PMS systems and channel managers to distribute because they're traditional hospitality. Even though it's condo resorts with kitchens, they're still essentially condo hotels or, or traditional hotel management codes, resort management codes. So we bridge the gap between their travel click and Snexus and other hotel type channel managers and Airbnb. And again, we were the first to bridge those gaps, which is a big blue ocean moment because that's a very, very large industry. And we didn't just bridge the tech gap, we bridged the service gap. And that, what I mean by that is on top of the tech, we layer two, two human services. One is content creation. These hotel management, resort management codes don't know how to write Airbnb friendly content. Mm -hmm. They never had to. Most of their content is programmatically created on booking and Expedia and their own websites have very, very little content. So they hire us for that expertise. And then we have agents located in Canada and Spain and in the Philippines, all our own teams. And we respond to all guest inquiries on all channels 24 seven. So that's the solution that we created by listening to the demand of our resort partners. And essentially we took them from what it was historically for them purely hotel channels onto the growing alternative at the time, STR channels. And that's how Leaftown went from being an OTA idea that never really worked out 
into this backend distribution company. And that's when we birthed Jetstream in 2018. What an interesting story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what's, what's in the business right now? So what's included in the business? Are you still like, you still have an operation side where you guys run your own units or, or are you just now in the back of the house? We're always, so far we've been back of the house. Uh, just one more piece of information on this journey because it, it, I think it's worth mentioning. In 2018, we actually sold the company to a company that you probably know called Red Awning in the US. Uh, and that was gonna be a two-year earnout. We sold 100% of the shares. Uh, and then at the beginning of COVID, everybody buckled pretty hard because of the cancel rate that we had to, to anyways. So we took that opportunity led by my business partner, Mike, and we repurchased 100% of the shares of the company. So we sold it required it and now we're there's no venture capital in the business so it's 100 percent employee-owned company nice which we're super uh, proud of yeah yeah very very proud of so so yes yeah, so what's evolved from this is we still do the business that i just explained to you we work with about uh 200 accounts we work with the three largest hotel chains in the world in some capacity doing this and in and others such as Vail resorts and so on so probably have about forty-five thousand doors under distribution but it's not like if you had 40,000 doors, um, our performance per listing is nowhere near what you guys are achieving or what we're achieving with another part of our business because we don't control rates, we don't control availability. We're a, we're a flow through of that data on top of which we layer rich content in our guest services. So it's good and we're making you know money uh, and it's not insignificant, but it's not as if somebody had 40,000 exclusive doors, that would be a different story. Um, because so the, the, the hotel chains, they are still in control of their rate and their occupancy. So they don't push you guys in the sense of like, hey, occupancy is low. That's their own responsibility. You guys are just creating content, pushing advertising, and then you give them support with the guest services. Yes. So do guests they book through your stuff? Do they contact you? So when they go to the hotel, are they contacting the front desk or they're contacting you guys? Great question. It's surprising how many of our guests check in at a, because there's a, you know, it's a hotel, there's kitchens and units, but it's a hotel and they, they, you know, they get their key card at the front desk and so on. Yeah. And then they get in the room and something's wrong and they message us through the uh, Airbnb app, <laughs> which is fascinating. So yeah. yeah, they're messaging us most of the time they're messaging us and we deal with the whole reviews afterwards. We review every guest on behalf. So it's like a real full service kind of STR channel management solution for the traditional hospitality that's a that's that's one part of our business and then over the years what's happened is some of our customers started building new assets and said hey you know you guys are pretty good at this would you mind just managing the entire distribution of this asset not just airbnb verbo and leaptown.com and that's what the last two years we've been building so now we support all distribution channels booking and expedia and home to go and holiday and merit homes and villas and google including the ability to support a direct channel. So we've essentially gone from being almost like a channel manager extension to now being a full PMS, all our own tech. And that's what we keep doing. And we have integrations with the keyless solutions and revenue management, because in this case, the asset owner is looking to us to do the whole thing, not the on-site operations. We always partner with on-site operators, but do the whole technology distribution guest comms layer. I love that, that you said that. Because that was my question, right? It's like, where, what are you, like, what do you see yourself as? Like, do you see yourself as a PMS company or do you see yourself as a distribution kind of marketing company? Yes. So I, I'm glad that you kind of specified that. Um, yes. So 
we've had a decent amount of PMSs on, on the podcast. And I think what's fascinating that I say this every time, I love software developers. I love engineers. And this is a passion, like this is a, a new, newfound respect that I've had since I started doing this podcast, because I love how you guys approach problems. And the other thing, I love how open you are to feedback and criticism and in working with each other. So what would you say, other than the marketing side, which is obviously super unique to you guys, what is something else that you guys do that is a little bit different than other PMSs out there due to your unique kind of like how you have come to being who you guys are, right? You've had yes. such a unique kind of, kind of journey that most other PMSs, companies that we have had on did not have. That's right. Yeah, so, well, for, so we are a PMS, but it's a custom PMS that we're not selling to anybody else as a PMS. We only sell Jetstream as the whole solution. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's very unique. There's not a lot of companies doing that. There's a few, uh, but there's not that many, especially um, in the multi-unit condo hotel uh, space. So, so as, oh, as users of our own system, um, that gives us certain advantages, um, which you know, we're front lines, like we're a team of 36, maybe eight or nine software developers in that group. So the rest is account management and business development and guest communications with the 2747. So we're front lines of anything that goes wrong instantly. So our feedback mm -hmm. loop, whether it's inappropriate, wrong content or some tech glitch introduced that we're very, very quick at closing our loop on fixing because we're the only users of our software. But it has pros and cons uh, because it's expensive to build software. So you know, we can't deploy that capital expenditure at scale like a PMS can necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, and you touched on one of my favorite books, The E-Myth. It takes some serious systems to even just handle guest communication for 45,000 listings. So like, what did that journey look like for you to standardize to go from a couple, I don't want to minimize it, but from a few partnerships to scaling this thing to a mass amount of units, like you have to have your operations dialed in on like, this is all the information we need for every property. This is how we respond to guests. This is how we communicate. This is how we do everything from that standpoint. I don't think people fathom what that would like. I have a thousand, one thousandth of your, I have 42 units. I can't imagine handling guest communication for 45,000 units. Like yeah. that's a mess. So so 45,000 units is doors. In terms of listings, it's about 4,200 listings because we have multiple doors behind, but it's still a lot of listings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's been evolved over the last five, six years. It's been a journey, you know, because also what adds complexity to what we do is we're a very unique player bringing multi-unit or representative style inventory onto these historically not representative style channels. Like on Airbnb, you, you get what you buy but we're pushing inventory that's actually, well, this is sort of what you're going to get, but it might not be exactly that. So we've really had to refine our content around that in a way that it says that, but not in a way that's too off-putting to the guest. So there's been a journey to set this up, but we have, we're, we have just wonderful people. Our team of, of guest comms is eight, and that's spanning Canada, Spain, and the Philippines. We use HubSpot or with the, the service layer of HubSpot as we built this large wiki of content that all team players, uh, all team members can access when they want. 
also we our proprietary tech has a lot of the content information linked in within it or links to our google drive where every single so if a booking comes in on a new property the team uh, we call it b2c business to consumer but the guest facing team can just click okay i need to learn about this now and the reality is too at first we don't know all the answers and we'll call the, uh, the partner and say guest is asking xyz question and then we'll add that information in the wiki so we, in terms of what else, we use Slack as an internal tool. So mm -hmm. Slack and, and um, yeah, I think that's that's the HubSpot with the ticketing system, Slack uh, inter, you know, with an internal wiki and Google Drive links to every single partner uh, and, and round and round we go 24 hours a day. Yeah, I love it. that's love great. It. Um, so I'm curious of something, right? Cause this is something that like I've experienced myself and I, maybe Mike, can speak of this as well. How, what have you guys found to be best practices in communicating with your team? Because I assume you have a certain way you want to come across, right? In the sense of like how to talk to guests. So how, and this is a very selfish question for me because it's a learning process for me, but it's just like, how do you train or what is the best way to train your, let's say you hire a VA or let's say we have a, a listener there is then that like 10 to 15 unit range and they're like okay i'm gonna hire a va what have you found is best practices to teach them how to speak in your language does that make sense does my question make sense yeah yeah exactly the brand language i guess the brand language yes yeah well, that. that's a that's a good question i don't know if i'll be able to provide a super satisfactory answer but <laughs> i mean our we have a director of the guest facing team in the business and uh -huh. part of her job is hiring and training uh, who we hire. Yeah, we're not, we, we're not, we don't hire at scale. So we haven't had to figure out how to onboard 20 people and, and teach them all that at the same time. It's very kind of, you know, one every four or five months. So there's kind of an institutional knowledge transfer that happens organically in the business. Mm -hmm. uh, but there we do have a training program. I can't speak to it specifically because honestly, I haven't, you know, Anna, who's wonderful and she's your director, she's developed this training program, but I'd say it's probably a it's step by step because there's a lot of complexity and then whether or not it's an exclusive listing like what I was telling you about where we distribute all channels or it's just a flow through listing with the um, it's all different and there's a lot of pieces so it's I think it's probably like a 10 to 12 week modularized training program that we do. Um, I don't know if we have an actual brand voice I think we're just good people like number one core value in the business is we deliver guest and partner because there's two sides to our equation. Uh, delight as as with you guys' business. So mm -hmm. that's number one core value. I mean, it's not the number one. Of I, the love, I love that yeah. core value. That's a strong core value. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's ingrained. We're very, very, very culture driven, yeah. much, much more so than the average company. And so that's it. So you do that. That's that's rule number yeah. one, deliver guest delight. Yeah. Um, I think so, that yeah. that one thing I've learned over the last 18 months as we've grown our team quite a bit is if you focus on building the right culture, a lot of the other stuff kind of takes care of itself, which yeah. there's so much like fluff around the word culture, but it, it, I wish I could articulate it better. But when you have that culture of people focusing on, you know, prioritizing delight for guests and owners, and that's constantly in the fabric of every conversation, everything, a lot of those other little minute things will take care of themselves through some additional training and things like that. And you won't have to constantly monitor to be like, well, why did they say this? Why did they say that? If, 
if that value is really embedded in your culture, a lot of that stuff will work itself out. You're totally right, Michael. I 150% agree. Um, it's all about when we raised capital the first time, our investors said, you know, kept saying, and I was a bit younger then, I didn't know, but there's, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. They would always repeat that. And it's really come to really not dawn on me, but accept this, that it is all about the people. Whatever you do, even software, we all glorify software and tech and repeatable automation, but all of that is set up by people. So <laughs> if it's all about the people, well, then the culture is like the, it's like this conscious and subconscious fabric of how we interact and what we value as a group of people working towards a common goal. So culture is everything because it's all about the people and the culture is how it, the people <laughs> agree to work together in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. Super important. And I, and I love because we've touched on this a couple of times and I talked about rereading traction. If you haven't read Traction, it's such a great book. And one of the main things that I find so valuable for Traction is there, it's how you set up your vision and really coming to those oh, core values and understanding what your core values are. Because again, it becomes super easy for you to create the right culture because once you show the core values to the people you hire, it becomes very easy. So one of our core values is that we choose kindness always, right? So it's just like, what does that mean? It's very simple. We choose kindness always. So no matter what happens with a guest, no matter what happens to, with a client, our response is always kindness. That's beautiful. So that's very easy for you to tell somebody that it's, it's a VA that starts with you and just like, this is our core values. What does that mean? No matter what somebody says on the phone or via email, you take a breath and you choose kindness because that's who we are as people. And if you're not a person that can choose kindness, this is not a company for you to work in. That's, that's very powerful. If I can share a little exercise we did with your listeners, which yeah, was, we love that. was when we raised our series A, one of our leads or, or the lead basically said, Hey, do you guys have an HR person? We didn't at the time. So he recommended this wonderful woman who was part of our journey for a few years. And one of the first things she did is after work, we did the classic pizza and beers. It's so, so cliche, but we actually did it. And maybe two thirds. And at the time we worked in an office in Vancouver. So two thirds of people showed up and she gave everybody five sticky post-it notes and you and everybody was asked to write what would be a culture or, or a value a core value of a company that you if you started your own company what would you want your five core values to be and then everybody put their post-its up on the wall and then we as a group kind of group them together so someone say like you know delivering guest delight or pleasing the customer or the customer is always right now it'd be like the bucket of, you know so we created these buckets and it was still myself and my business partner mike's ultimate choice as to which one we chose but she said that she never seen in a company where there's so much alignment because we did the exercise ourselves before mike and i she kind of got us to do that before alignment between management and ownership's core values and the team so i that was a, probably one of the more transformational things we did for the business because from there we had a collective set of core values created together and mm -hmm. i use that all the time when i'm selling our business yeah and it becomes super easy because it's also for you to sell your business. So it, whatever your aspect of short-term rental is, so if you're in the industry as a manager and you're looking to grow your management company, understanding your core values, that becomes what you sell. Yes. And then you don't have that, uh, mm, I don't know what we're special. You know, it's your core values and people like appreciate that. And I, love, and I love, Emmanuel, that you said that because what is funny is that in our company, we did the opposite, right? So we started drawing core values based on the things that we loved about our, our team. And then myself and Tasha, my wife, we did it last. 
And what we, we realized is like everything we loved about our team is things that we want to emphasize in, in ourselves. But the majority of our core values are inspired by the people that work with us and they're not ours. They are ours, but they're also theirs. And that's yeah. why our team works so well together. And, well, and, and you chose those people consciously or subconsciously as well because of these things that you love and that you seek in others. So it, it, it's, it's 100%. Yeah. I love that. Me too. I can stand for culture only long. I'll transition into this because it ties into one of our core values, which is keep it simple. And I love the, the infograph that you have on the site on like how it all works. Like, yeah. Check it out, jetstreamtech.io. Um, you can scroll down to say where it says how it works. And it highlights a couple different things that I thought was interesting because a lot of people have ways to get on a lot of the platforms, but I haven't seen anybody else offer like listing optimization services or like guest relation services, like things like that, that differentiate a product like yours. And then again, it's on the left side, it's like, who do we work with? Like you've got Everybody. service departments, like big high rises, you've got resorts and hotels, and then you have property managers that are running a bunch of like single family homes. Yeah. Right. So again, this power and simplicity and defining like who you are and what you're about. And the reason I'm bringing that up is one, I, this is a really cool idea, but two, to make it tangible for somebody that's building a property management business or a short-term rental business, identifying who you serve, what differentiates you and why somebody should work with you and keeping that simple and having that nice and tight will make your life a thousand times easier to go prospect and get new clients. The mistake that I made at the beginning was I took, I went really wide. I took small stuff, big stuff, this state, that state. And I went really wide instead of getting clear on these are the properties that we want to work with. And these are the guests that we want to serve. And then creating a niche around that. Now we're kind of all over the map and it's worked out. But if I was going to do it again, I would have taken this approach to get real clarity around like, you know, we're the high-end villa management company in this market, or we service B2B clients in this market or whatever it is and niche down. And you're, I, I guarantee that your business will grow faster that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. So two things on the schematic side, I think in schematics, my brain. So that's where this that whole engineering I, thing, you can't turn it off. I can't, I used to draw schematics for building systems. That's it's, it's systems, but it works really well to sell a schematic. I, I, I probably pitched that schematic or I have a more complex version of it. It's a little bit more detail four times a day. Not kidding. When I hire people, this is what we show and so on. Uh, but yeah, on your point of um, yeah, niche or, or focus, I think right now we're actually Jetstream a little bit too. I think we're still finding, like we know our first version of the business, we call it V1 internally. It's the resort hotel management codes. That's one of our big, uh, and, that's, and that's good. We got that part. But moving forward in terms of who we sell this white labeled tech distribution, guest comms, and listing optimization content creation service, we, we have different customers. We have a few single homeowners. It's really not the, 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 the space we want to be actively. I mean, if they find us great, but we don't want to really build looking. And on the other side, we have a large US pension fund that's acquired 10 hotels, 2,200 rooms, and they've hired us to, to represent their made up brand on all channels. And we have something in between. We have realtors, brokers, which I think is a very, very promising sector. Uh, and, and even a small hotel boutique operator. So we need to kind of really figure out, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to, we've put like I, my, we put strings out into the world and we're seeing which string pulls 
And there's some that are pulling harder than the others. And I think we're going to really, next 2022, we're going to kind of focus on those strings. Last year, a couple of years, we're like figuring out where the strings we're going to pull. Yeah. No, and I love, I actually love that about your website. It's just like all the different, because it's really understanding all the players in this, in, in this yeah. kind of space and understanding that now there is more and more players that you can target to and their needs are slightly different, but they're they all kind of like in the same, same boat, right? Like I'm a, I'm a real estate broker, property manager, and it's the first time that I've been able to go to a PMS and be like, oh, wait, they have a thing for realtors, which is very interesting, but it's, it's kind of where the future is going. I think um, so. So I love this, and I love just how clean everything is. And I think that the idea of bringing with you this kind of chart or this flow um, is actually, it's super helpful, regardless of what your kind of brain type is. There is a certain element of showing up with a graph that just makes you look more put together. So I think and, it's a great hack. For and people. even better. Picture. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Michael. I was just going to say we, as humans, like we, we think in pictures. So like if you can put together a clear, concise image for someone, it's a lot easier for them to process that than just like lots of data and a lot of things. It's like, that's why infographs work. They just exactly. simplify things into a picture. I find it's even better when you can draw it in real time. Because then, because you look at that schematic, that one's quite simplified. My other schematic is much so, but because I can't meet people in real in, in life because of COVID in the last few years, I've created like a seven page PDF where just elements get added to the PDF. And that way you can tell the story. So here's, you know, mm -hmm. here's our technology in the middle, you know, then next mm -hmm. slide. And then boom, and here's people the pay attention. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to just being overwhelmed and trying to read everything at first. Yeah. That's actually something that um, I think Mark Yegi also taught us is like when you're presenting something don't hand people something to look at because then the natural pro like the natural propensity of a lot of people is they get something and they'll start looking at it and then they won't pay attention to what you're saying or or you're doing because they're exactly. trying to figure out where you're going so that way it's very interesting for you to keep kind of the attention and everything else yeah i loved it um where where do you see 2022 going from a like for our our hosts so the majority of our listeners are our hosts what are some kind of things that you guys are seeing like writing on the wall that mm -hmm. you're telling hosts you should concentrate on this well i think we believe that the rise of two things first of all i call them midterm stays so it's not long-term leases but it's the midterm longer stays mm -hmm. And then the rise of flex, flex real estate development. So like one at a time, longer stays. So we have a great property manager, a partner in Cape Cod, and she's actually a, a realtor and, and she owns a cleaning company and she's bolted Jetstream on top of that. And all of a sudden she's a full service property management co without having to get technology and so on. So it's a very seasonal destination, Cape Cod. So obviously it's hard for small operators to grow and scale there because there's not enough business in the winter to keep your staff and so on. So what we've been really pushing hard is the longer term stays. And we've managed to more or less fill your, your, your year one, four units from zero to four in year one to uh, at, with one month or six week stays, which is pretty good because it's a very low season destination. So I think we're gonna be spending a lot more energy, technology, learnings on, on, on targeting longer term stays 
during non-peak occupancy seasons. And Airbnb is good at that, but there's other channels that are emerging for that. So that's one of the things that I think we all got to be really getting good at. And that can be something as simple as just setting your promos correctly for longer term stays. Because a lot of people don't. And then on the flex living, I don't know if that's so, as, as for your host, I don't know, but we're definitely seeing, I'm talking to real estate developers. I just went to the America's Lodging Investment Summit in LA, just came back yesterday. And there's now a growing, I guess, awareness from some of the big money, the realtors, realtors sorry, real estate developers and institutional investors that flex is coming and they want to build assets that will be able to flex between long-term and short-term rentals or even mid-term rentals. And, and in their words, I want to let the market dictate to me, the asset owner, how I should be doing my mix. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if people can find an expertise in that, because it's a bit of a different, you now you're bridging long-term, mid-term, short-term, um, I think there's opportunity there. Super interesting. I think the flex space is definitely something. And I think what has happened, I think in the last... 10 years, especially when it comes to businesses, before businesses used to be a bunch of people sitting in a room being like, what do we make people like next, right? Like, what is the next trend that we can create onto people? And now businesses are very, are, are realizing through social, through everything else is like, wait, we can actually just, if we stay as open as possible, we can then see what kind of, what you were saying with the lines, right? Like which line... Yeah. It's pulling and then we'll kind of pivot that way. Exactly. Yeah. Which should be the same setup you have as a real estate investor. Because that's both me and Mike have gone over this in our, in our journey. Is if you stay too rigid on one way, just because you think that's the right way, sometimes you'll get, you're going to get slapped in the face. And our mentor Rock used to always tell us, he or she who is most flexible wins. Yes. So that is always something that you should keep in mind because being rigid is something that used to work very well in the past. And yeah. I don't think it's, it's going to ever, ever again. No. So first of all, being nimble is you can not institutionalize that, but the culture in the business helps have that mindset. So that connects our culture conversation. Um, and then, yeah, it, it was interesting. The chats I had very much is this one big real estate developer from Florida who's been building, you know, flagged Marriott hotels for 25 years, basically said to me, you know, um, they do decisions based on analytics and they pay consultants to do projections and so on. He said, and everything's just gone out so much the window and everything's just changing so fast that I don't want to now base my large multi-million development projects on that. I want to build an asset that can respond to market conditions. I thought, wow. And, but he was like this, this one particular guy, was a small segment of the conversations I've had. So it's still emerging. It's very new, as far as I can tell from my conversations, uh, this mindset. Mm -hmm. So he, those who are there first will capitalize on this, I think. 100%. And if the trends can keep continuing with, you know, I don't know if the office space will ever fully recover, but I think COVID kind of forced everybody's hand to test out the whole remote working thing. And a lot of people like it and it's a free benefit and it saves companies money. So if you could go work in, you got a friend who's living in Medellin right now and he can do whatever he needs to do from down there. Right. So if you have a flex type of space like that, Oh, I'm going to go live in this cool community with other people like me for a month or two months. And then I'm going to go here and live in a cool flex community for a month or two months. So like 
I definitely see that as a trend for some of the younger demographics is yep. like, just like a cool, that's just like the new way to work. It is. We've had the biggest shift in how humans work, probably in the history of humankind in the last two years imposed by obviously the pandemic. So I don't think we're going to, I mean, yes, there'll be some, you know, some companies are forcing everybody back and so on, but still there's probably, I don't know how many billions of people that have changed how they work. A certain percentage of that are going to keep the old model, uh, the, the new model, and that presents opportunity. 100%, 100%. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, before we get into our last question, I want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, for sharing all of your wisdom and your journey and for building a really cool product um, that's going to help a lot of people. And so excited to see where, where you and Jetstream go over the next 12, 24 months and how everything adjusts and, and where you guys take that. And so for the listeners, make sure you go check them out. It's jetstreamtech.io, jetstreamtech.io. And um, is there anywhere else that the listeners should, should reach out to you guys? Yeah, sure. I mean, my email is manuel, E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L at jetstreamtech.io. I can be found on LinkedIn. Always, always keen for any conversation, uh, be it uh, interest in our business or just general meeting new people in the industry. So awesome. please reach out. Great. We appreciate it. And so the last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Mm. So, Yeah. I think we've, because of our unique path that we've taken to get, we're not a, you know, the, the traditional sto founder story in this space is I, I, I started with one unit and then I built more units. We kind of started with some units and then took a path down a, a software route of distribution and so on. I think that what's made us successful and able to be essentially profitable tech business in the space right now is listening to our customers. We've built software by listening to our customers and building something they were ready to pay for. And it seems I see a lot of tech right now being, I have an idea, I'm gonna go raise 2 million as a seed on my idea. Then we're gonna build the tech and it's expensive and hard to build tech. And then I hope it works. I hope I have product market fit. So I think really being always building tech for somebody who sees the value and is willing to pay for it, I think that is what has gotten us to where. And then of course, tons of hard work and perseverance and all the other things, but I think it starts with that. That's great. That's great. Well, Manuel, so thank perfect. you again so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Thank you so much for the opportunity guys. And you got a great podcast. Thanks. Thanks for Absolutely. coming on, man. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Ciao. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.